Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on the 18th of December of 2019. I am Nick, here along with Chris. Chris, what are we talking about? Uh, I think we're talking about a lot of manga, like a ton of it. Like normally, sometimes we like start off, we go on some wacky tangent talking about crazy stuff, Cookie Monster and directions. No time for that this week, Nick. (laughs) No time. We've got too much to talk about. We have a uh, series to talk about proper and due to Crunchyroll being the worst manga service (laughs) We have two chapters of both Eden Zero and Seven Deadly Sins, which means we have 16 chapters to talk about this week in the recap. So, yeah, I guess let's start talking about some Pokemon, Chris. Yes. Uh, as part of our uh, Pokemon journey, I uh, decided that we should take a little bit of a break from just going through Pokemon Adventure and instead talk about a different uh, Pokemon manga, The Electric Tale of Pikachu. Very different adaptation from uh, uh, Pokemon Ad- Special slash Pokemon Adventure in that it is based on the anime as opposed to based on the games. And, oh boy, is it based on the anime. Like, the entire, like, first half of this of this manga is just straight like, oh, hey, you remember this episode from the first two seasons of Pokemon? Well, here's a slightly different version of it. And um, there's a, a little bit of different stuff that happens in it, but generally speaking, I would say that if you are familiar with the Pokemon anime, if you're feeling nostalgic for it, this is a bit of a different take on it, uh, and you would be f- familiar with a lot of the stuff that happens with uh, during it. I believe that's a relatively fair yeah. um, beginning. There are a few things to keep in mind, such as the guy who made the manga uh, was apparently horny as shit. Um, and there was a lot of censorship that had to be done whenever Viz and, uh, I think it was like the same, um, I, I think it was the same company, uh, doing the adaptation and as, uh, for Pokemon adventure in other parts of the world. So like, I think Chuang Yi, um, and, uh, so there's a lot of really big titties, uh, and the original version of this manga, despite the fact that it ran in a children's magazine, uh, that then had to be uh, painted over in the Viz versions. So if you read the Viz versions, you no, you won't suspect a thing. It's yeah. a very well uh, it's a very well um, edited series. Um, that said, I think that honestly, the best parts of this manga were things that I read twenty plus years ago when I got them in what was it called? Electric Pikachu Boogaloo. Um, which is only a very limited part of the manga. It was, I think, basically covering like the third volume of this four volume series. Um, and I think that they did that because that's where some of the original stories actually start to kick in. But, uh, once we actually got into them, I'm like, oh, okay, I remember how good this, I actually, this wasn't how much I liked it. Um, because the other parts of it didn't really do much for me. I'll, I'll admit. Yeah. So this is an odd series in that. When I first read it, my mind was like, maybe the anime was based off of this? And it decided, like, hey, you've got some good ideas for premises, but they're really, like, violent or weird, so we're going to cut out some of that stuff and make it more, like, fun. And then learning that it's the opposite way, you're like, I mean, I guess? Like, I I don't really know how to feel reading it, because, like you said, this is basically like the anime 
except it occasionally goes off in different original directions. Mm-hmm. And that's more or less it. Like, there's not really that much that separates. It's not like in how in, like, Blue and Red and all the other, like, Pokemon Adventures, rather. Not like how in those series they, they, they spend a lot of time trying to make the mechanics of the game world work and tell an original story completely. Like, this doesn't really try to do any of those. Every so often it'll be like, this is how uh, fucking TMs work or stuff like that. But generally speaking, it's the same kind of universe and logic mm-hmm. as as the actual TV show. And, I mean, it's a nice nostalgia trip, I suppose. But I found myself, the, the, the stuff I picked on the most, outside of the really weird one where, like, a haunter... Uh, commit suicide <laughs> in a in a like refusal to be caught uh is the moments where i'm just like that doesn't make sense in pokemon rules like those two <laughs> parts i kind of like i was just like they they do the classic gengar versus nidorino one and they're like nidorino's right, the getting beat nidorino the favorite in this match was like that's bullshit it's bullshit nidorino's barely the favorite in this matchup <laughs> No poison type would have a would have an advantage against a ghost poison type. Fuck you. Yeah, I was like, does Nidorino Oh, it's going to use his horn drill. That won't work. I was like, does Nidorino even have ground type moves at this point? This is nonsense. This is bullshit. Um, and Bite's not even a dark type move until the next d- d- generation yeah, of games. So fuck worthless. you. <laughs> double kick. Um, more like double nothing. <laughs> The thing that let me see here. So if I remember correctly, actually, in the anime version of that fight, the person with Nidorino has to immediately change it out for an Onyx. That'll actually be effective. I'm about to get my shit pushed in. (laughs) Great. Would that have been if that was that little Gengar in that games? That little Gengar in that opening is fucking awesome because it's like jumping it around all anime style around this huge rock snake and stuff. Anyway, so <laughs> to talk about the actual manga, the, there were a few parts of this that really bugged me because if you know that um, a story is adapted from a certain source material and is very closely following uh, the base structure of it, but then it tweaks some things, uh, you pay really close attention to the things that it does change. And some of the changes that are made were very strange choices to me. For example, there is um, okay. So if you're familiar with Pokemon, then you know that you know uh, Ash meets the three starter Pokemon along his journey. Uh, there, the Bulbasaur is like the protector of this hidden village where there's a there's a human woman who takes care of these Pokemon, and Bulbasaur is the protector of the place. But Bulbasaur goes to respect Ash and gives him a chance to capture him. Charmander was uh, owned by a really mean Aussie guy who abandoned him, and then when he learned that Charmander was powerful, wanted to take him back. And Squirtle was this, you know. Uh, rebellious leader of the Squirtle squad, this, you know, gang basically. Um, so Ash encounters the three of them and ends up capturing them basically right in a row. So there's a chapter of the manga where Pikachu comes across Squirtle, uh, who's like, ah, humans suck. He's a gang. He's basically a gang leader, but he doesn't have the Squirtle squad. And they come across Charmander, who is worried that his, 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 uh, trainer has abandoned him. 
And they end up going to this hidden village where Bulbasaur is the guardian of the place. And then none of those three are ashes, Charmander or Bulbasaur or Squirtle. In fact, the Charmander goes back with the Aussie trainer guy who in the anime was an abuser. He's like, oh, I've been looking for you, Charmander. It's like, well, no, Charmander, no. (laughs) Someone help that Charmander. I know what he's really like. He's not nice. And then literally in the next chapter, Ash unleashes all this Pokemon. He's like, I caught all these Pokemon. He's got all three starters. (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) There's so much that happens between chapters. Like astonishingly so like you'll just go into the next chapter and ash is like i'm gonna ca- <laughs> time to show off these four pokemon i just caught like what bitch what and then we like but we still spent an entire chapter making sure to show the entirety of the fucking horse race chapter of the series yeah. like, they're like that one needs to be done in its entirety we can't skimp on that one no i mean like i'm okay with you know having a manga that kind of like gives you alternate stories of what Ash is doing on his Pokemon journey. So it doesn't emphasize the gym battles that he has. It emphasizes the stuff he does in between. I think that that was one of the reasons why uh, the parts of the manga that were put into the comics that I got as a kid work so well is because that starts off when he has collected all eight badges and it covers some of the time in between then and when he like ends up going to the Pokemon League and he's like doing some quote unquote training by himself. He's doing stuff on his own away from Brock and Misty. Uh, and then it tells an alternate version of events that are actually being going on in the Pokemon League. So I think that, uh, you know, having like something that gives you an alternate, you know, kind of like look into like Ash's journey is is a good idea. Uh, especially because despite the fact that this story has a little bit of a tonal difference from the anime, Ash is still recognizably himself. And he's also kind of a really likable version of himself. It's still definitely him, but there's something about him that I think is really likable. Uh, he v- very much is dedicated to his Pokemon. Uh, and also there's a lot of jokes surrounding him that are actually really funny. Um, I think that it, at, its, at its best is actually a really humorous series. Um, there's one part where he comes across Team Rocket and, and they're la- involved in their latest scheme. And so Team Rocket are, are like, hey, shouldn't you be in school? And he's like, well, I'm on a Pokemon journey, though. I'm excused from school. And they're like, oh, you know, we were just like you once we went on a Pokemon journey and, you know, we didn't go to school. And so we, we ended up washing out. And because we didn't go to school, we're losers who have no skills. And so you're going to be just like us. You're not going to be able to succeed in life. You're going to be a loser as an adult. And he has an existential crisis right there. And so he's unable to stop them. <laughs> um, so. There's that. Um, there's. Can, can we also, also really, really quick just talk about how uh, most of the time when we've seen Pokemon drawn, uh, you know, you obviously have your Pikachus, your Jigglypuffs, yeah. your Eevees, the yeah. cute ones. This is one oh, yeah. where it's like, if you want to see Onyx, he's a motherfucking rock snake. This is a terrifying monster that will haunt your dreams. Like, this is the shit where you walk in a cave and doesn't have big cartoon eyes. It's just angry and vicious and wants to kill you. And you're like... Jesus, I kind of dig this. I don't know why. Where it's like half the Pokemon. The Gyarados are... in this series are straight up 
terrifying sea monsters with huge teeth. Gyarados so. coughing just ha- like wheezing just has dead eyes and floats there. Like it's it's somewhere you're like, oh shit, this these aren't your fucking your mama's Pokemon. These are dangerous Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Um Ash has a Charizard, which won't listen to him. It's also scary, by the way, but not quite not nearly as scary as uh, the Gyarados or the Onyx, because like as soon as it appears, like Ash kind of like hypnotizes it with this like flare thing and it's going to go. Ooh. So it's not nearly as intimidating. And then it gets into uh, the Pokemon League battle that Ash has with Richie, which I think is done actually much better in this version because it's just like, yeah, so Ash just, you know didn't properly train the Charizard that he that he had. And so that's why he loses. Uh, but it's not because the Charizard decides not to listen to him and instead just goes away and sleeps somewhere. It's because the Charizard goes into a fucking berserker rage and nearly kills Richie's Charizard by biting into its neck. And Richie can't recall it because the system malfunctions. So Ash has to recall his and forfeit in order to prevent Richie's Pokemon from literally dying, which is a thing that happens in this universe. The Pokemon just die sometimes. Um, and that was one of the definitely one of the more memorable parts of uh, reading when I read this as a kid was just how different the battle was uh, at that part part. Um there are also more instances, strangely enough, of Pokemon talking in this, you know, getting like a, a a chapter where you just like are dedicated to, hey, Pikachu is talking with these Pokemon and Poke language is just translated so that you can understand it. It's a lot more common, which makes it which is kind of off putting, honestly. Um, it's all right. I think that if you have never if you did not watch the Pokemon anime and don't have any connection to it, then you're probably not going to get nearly as much out of it, especially because it's a series that skips around quite a bit. Uh, every single chapter is very much disconnected from the, the ones around it, except for like a little bit where they focus on one leg of uh, Ash's journey and that's it. Um, there are parts where you can tell there's just like, yeah, this happens, but who cares? Because literally, like, on one page, Ash meets Brock, and Brock is like, all right, let's have a battle. And then there's just this full-page spread of Pikachu shocking Brock's Pokemon, and Brock going, I lost! And that's it. (laughs) So, it's not a a very compelling narrative, but if you're looking for something that's like, ah, you know, I, I really like Pokemon... I'll you know, look into some snippets of this kid's journey and occasionally have an amusing uh, story uh, sometimes, then it might be fun. It's only it's only like a four volume series, so there's not a lot to it. Um, but if you're big into Pokemon, you might get a little something out of it. That's about it. I, I would not use this to say like, hey, if you've thought about getting into Pokemon, but never really wanted to, then this is your gateway. I I, I don't think it is so. Uh, I will say that if you are saying like, "Ooh, you know, I really like Pokemon. I want to read more of it," then read Pokemon Adventures before this because you're getting mm-hmm. something different there, and I think that's going to be ultimately more rewarding. You are getting a lot of new stuff in this, but it's all kind of built in the framework that if you didn't watch the TV show, there really isn't like 
you kind of need that framework to understand what's happening because you fill in the blanks yourself. You're like, oh, okay, that's why Brock and Misty are along because they're his friends in the TV show. Whereas if you watch this, you're just like, I don't understand why Brock just showed up and is just hanging out with this kid. I don't. I don't really see. Brock also those... seems a lot older in this than he is in the anime. Like he seems like twice as old as Ash. And it's <laughs> super creepy when he makes a joke about women maturing like fine wine in reference to Misty, who like three chapters earlier was proud of like I'm twelve. And you're like, oh, oh. Brock, how old are you? Please tell me you're thirteen, because if you say twenty something, I'm gonna cry. Um. Uh, but hey, there's some memes from this that you probably have seen about, and you'll find out there from here. So, mm. there you go. I, I was not aware of that. Uh, one of the players at Dice Funk uses the oh, okay. uh, the 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 Jigglypuff with the 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 berry on its head. That's just like I'm Jigglypuff, and now things are about to get jiggly rough. Obviously, <laughs> it's been edited in. Uh, but that that image is from this manga. Um. Oh, God. Something escaped me just now. Oh, I will say that there was one chapter. It's the one with all the Gyarados in it where um, there's this one. There's this character that Team Rocket had managed to rip off uh, like she was she like her mansion or something sunk into the ocean somehow. And so um, she still has like her servants, including this one guy that is clearly in love with her. And he's this super manly guy uh, who when he learns that uh, someone is out in the ocean is in trouble. He literally just runs across the water. And so Ash is like, did did he just run across the water? And she's like, yeah, he's like that. <laughs> there are some really funny jokes. There, there are just there are some really funny jokes in this. But I think that there are going to just be little tidbits here and there. It's not something like, oh, yeah, you're going to want to read this cover to cover. So. Chris, we have a lot of chapters to talk yeah, about. So I, yeah, well, let's let's move on. No more. You got all your Pokemon talk. Pokemon is not going to come up again in this podcast. I ever. give you my word. Yeah, ever. We're never going to talk about it again. So let's, oh, God, t- let's my, do the recap. My next recommendation was Pokemon Adventures. <laughs> How do I get around that? Recap portion of weekly manga recap. My Hero Academia. We start off with this kick-ass two-page color spread. Lots of heroes looking badass, kind of alternate versions of their hero costumes. It's the uh, top ten. It's the results of the latest par- character popularity poll. The uh, top ten characters from that. Uh, Jira won again, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I, are you poll. sure? I didn't see her anywhere in the picture. That's because she's in my heart, Chris. <laughs> also, this picture is really fucking hard to read because their numbers are just somewhere on their body and I couldn't find Toga's so I couldn't tell where yeah. she was but I was like I guess she's six because I couldn't find who six was but they're not like placed in order of importance necessarily right so and, like, it's Uraka's... really tough to tell she's yeah, eight and, uh, but she's super far up yeah Bakugos is, is easy enough to find Deku's is a little more difficult Todoroki's is like oh yeah okay and then it's like, oh, you got to look at Kirishima's and see the gray on black for his and stuff. So anyway, uh, so the chapter proper 254, you could be more of a hero than anyone is about uh, prison Mike and Aizawa. Oh, they're, 
their their old friend Oboro Shirakumo, who died during our work study, and they believe that he is the base for Kurogiri, the Nomu. Uh, the 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 Shirakumo's corpse is was used as, as his core. That's their theory. Um, President Mike has a very bizarre reaction to this. It's almost like a joke to learning that his dead friend is being used as a Frankenstein teleporting villain monster uh, because he goes, they called us the three D'Amigos of Class A. I don't get it. And it's it's quite strange that that that's put in there in this very heavy revelation about this character. Hey, your dead friend is this guy here. So. Um, but, uh, so basically the point of this chapter is that, uh, they learned that the Nomu that, uh, attacked Endeavor, uh, it turned out that the body's base was from this guy who has, was an underground fighter. That was why he was so obsessed with trying to fight Endeavor. So they believe that the personality of the main base, the main corpse that the uh, Nomu was based on, uh, tends to leak over somewhat into what they wind up being. So they're trying to get more information from Kurogiri by having Aizawa and President Mike tap into that old friendship of theirs uh, in order to try and connect with him and have him willingly give up information. In order to do that, uh, they wake up Kurogiri and Aizawa has to constantly be using his negation quirk in order to prevent him from just teleporting the fuck away. So uh, they do that. And they talk with him for a bit and they talk about just their friend uh, and try and, you know, get him to remember stuff. Uh, and they talk about themselves and how they have changed. And there is a detail that we learn about Aizawa and all this. If you recall, way back at the beginning of the series, he basically told everyone that he was going to have someone expelled immediately if they couldn't keep up with everyone else. Uh, and it turns out that he was more just like going to temporarily expel them. Uh, he wanted them to experience the end, to experience death uh, by having them be expelled, always with the intention of bringing them back in. And apparently he's been doing this in all of his classes. Someone gets expelled and then they get brought back in so they can experience that doom and despair and not be so afraid of being of having to, you know, put their lives on the line when they're heroes. And uh, he passionately says all this stuff to uh, to Kurogiri and says, you know, I want, you know, guys like you. I want heroes who can pull others along to live good, long lives. So you're, if you're still in there somehow, Shirakumo, the three of us can still be heroes together. And uh, that's it. That's that. That's the chapter. Um, it was an odd chapter. Uh, I like certain details from it. I like how Aizawa's got to, it, you know, you can see his eyes straining because he's got to stare unblinking at Kurogiri this entire time that they're going into this. There are some details here and there that they're that they're going over that are very that are interesting. But overall, this chapter was very strange and didn't really do a lot emotionally for me. Like I, I can appreciate and get behind Aizawa's Aizawa's like conviction here. Like I believe that this is something very emotional and important to him. It's just very unfortunate that all of the backstory to this is in another series that we haven't read and based on the way this is going doesn't seem like it's going to really touch on too much in this one. It, the idea is like, "Hey, did you read the spin-off? Awesome. Did you not? 
read the spinoff. Like that's the kind of like <laughs> attitude I'm getting. And it's like, I don't know, man, I don't really particularly want to read spinoff. Like it's this, this, this is the bad part of comics. That I don't want to see you emulating where it's like, well, didn't you read fucking guardians of the galaxy North that they had a slight crossover <laughs> spinoff with infinity war 12. So <laughs> you got to understand why captain America is a zombie now. Like, wait, what? That seems like a big deal. There's no time. Read the spinoff. Look, it's not part of the main. It's not part of the main event. You have to read one of the tie-ins. But the, the, why did you? Ah. <laughs> why is it in the main story now? Then because it's important. <laughs> All right, is it Eden Zero? I forget My, where fucking series go. Uh, I was gonna do Spy Family next. All right, let's do Spy Family. But then we'll do Eden Zero. So this is actually probably one of the uh, heavier chapters of uh, this series so far. Not a lot of joking around in this one. Uh, it's following up on the previous chapter where uh, Anya wants to get a dog as a reward uh, for getting her Stella star. And uh, we then met seemingly the dog that they're going to wind up getting, which apparently can see glimpses of the future. It, uh, so um, fucking Anya gets taken by Lloyd and your to a little pet shop, which <sighs> fucking Lloyd, like, was told she wants a small, cute dog, and he leads her in front of these huge, fucking ugly things <laughs> that want to eat stuff. I The one I like is it's it, it, it must be like so a pit bull of some kind that's so muscular. It's not laying down on all fours. It's kind of sitting up and kind of flexing a little bit. Like, it's just like, <laughs> some little girl, you want to take me home? I'm going to be doing some push-ups so I can't lose this pump. And Lloyd's just like, well, you know, I was hoping that we could make it a guard dog for security purposes. Listen to your daughter. I know she's not your real daughter, but fuck off. She told you what she wanted. No, man, I'm going to be a real cute dog. Bark, bark and shit. You guys got any cigarettes? (laughs) And and Lloyd's just like, don't they look smart? And... Turn on Sopranos! I want to watch Sopranos! You've already watched it four times. (laughs) It's my show! It might end differently this way. I'm going to find out what happens to him. (laughs) So Anya looks horribly disgusted at Lloyd for this. And so he's got to learn turn to the owner and be like, do you have like smaller, cuter dogs? And the guy's like, well, I guess the drug sniffing dogs are a little smaller. (laughs) God damn it, Lloyd. <laughs> I do like that Anya can read the dog's minds and they're just like, me strong, me me big muscle. <laughs> just like... I don't know how they can, how they ha- they can actually have English thoughts, but maybe they're just like thinking about, oh, oh, rah, and that's, you know, the universal language of I am big and strong. Or so. Anya is secretly a Rosetta Stone for everybody. Uh, so... Could be that. Lloyd spots one of the workers giving him a little hand sign, and so he's like, "Oh, I'm receiving new orders." So he has to pretend that he's going, that he's got to take a big dump, uh, and excuses himself. And Anya covers for him for your by saying, "Papa takes a real long time to craft, so we should go." <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, so. Lloyd gets uh, driven off and he's like, what the hell are you doing? And this guy's like, you've got r- really important orders to have to deal with because there's an assassination plot against uh, Foreign Minister Brantz and it might happen tonight. Uh, 
And so they say like, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy, you know, cause there's, there's things where, you know, even kids are becoming terrorists right now. And, uh, it's, um, we cut away to where this guy in the letterman's jacket, which who, it breathes canine subtle, uh, has been captured by some people. This woman in glasses approaches and says they've also caught his leader. And so this guy in a dress shirt gets brought in. And uh, the guy in the dress shirt, it's like, oh, the, the, the plan was his idea. Uh, I didn't do anything. Uh, and um, so they're immediately turned against each other right away. So it's one. Yay. Loyalty. Wire, uh, where like a dude's like, hey, like they're interrogating one guy in a room. And he's like, I'm not going to tell you anything. Like, we don't need you to. Your partner already flipped. All it took was getting them like a quarter pounder and some fries. And it, like cuts to outside as the guy, like another guy's be walked through a McDonald's. He's like, I don't care what you guys think. I don't care if you buy McDonald's. I'm not going to tell you anything. And then he grabs like a fistful of fries. And they open the doors to the two of them, see each other. And the one guy's like, you son of a bitch. You did sell me out for McDonald's food. And he's like, oh, oh, and they just lead him away before he can say anything. And I'm like, that is the best. So, yeah. Um... They immediately try on each other and, you know, they basically uh, get tricked that way. And it turns out that the guy in the dress shirt, oh, it wasn't really the guy that the, that, uh, the guy in the letterman's jacket knew. It was Lloyd wearing a disguise. Fooled you. Uh, and uh, the, the girl on glasses is interrogating him and he's flipped, of course. And uh, he reveals that the plan was to strap bombs to like a dozen dogs and send them at uh, the person they're trying to assassinate. And that's uh, how they're planning on not getting him. So Lloyd's like, oh, I mean, this is crazy because, you know, in order to train a, that many dogs to do that, you know, it would it costs a ton of money. And there's no way that a group of college kids could pull this off. So someone's got to be backing them. So they've got to figure out who is behind all of this. We cut over to the organization that is training these dogs and we see the bizarre badger looking dog i think that people have suggested what kind of dog this is it looks very odd to me it looks more like a bear than a dog to me <laughs> like um i love that even these freaking like we're gonna train these dogs to carry bombs are like these are some pretty smart doggos <laughs> everyone loves dogs man even these guys no they gonna, don't <laughs> even these guys are gonna blow them up like who's a good boy who's a good boy Who's going to do a suicide mission? You are. <laughs> I had a moment today where my brother came downstairs and he didn't see me, but he saw Scotia. He's like, oh, there's my little penis. There's my little penis. I was like, and I thought he was doing a bit. And I was like, hey, he's like, oh, I didn't know you were there. I was like, wait, so you just call Scotia your little penis? <laughs> like, you're alone? He's like, I guess I do. I don't know. <laughs> um. But the big fluffy doggo uh, hap- gets twitches a little bit and he spots a little kid running uh, along and he dashes away from his handler, grabs the kid by the back of his shirt. And they're like, oh, my God, oh, that dog is attacking him. But then some stuff comes falling off of the building right in front of the kid, right where he would have been if the dog hadn't caught him. And so the kid realizes, oh, you saved me. Thank you. And then the dog just turns and goes back to the handlers. Uh, and they're like, huh, oh, that was weird. That's basically it. Uh, Yor brings Anya to a proper animal shelter. There's this big adoption fair going on. And Anya is going like, oh, 
teeny doggies. Oh, kitties, bunnies. I mean, like you let you let a six year old lose around tons of small furry creatures. What do you think is going to happen? Um, they're, so they're going around. And of course, Anya spots the big fluffy dog going by outside the window, uh, walking outside the building. And the little dog turns to Anya and their eyes meet. And of course, the dog recognizes her. And so either it has another premonition or it flashes back to the one it already experienced of Anya and Yor and Lloyd all looking down at him. And Anya reads his mind and sees this. And she realizes that that's what's happened. And uh, so she's like, well, I can't just tell Yor that that dog already recognizes us. But so I'm just going to go investigate this by myself. And so she goes snooping around. She manages to find the dog tied up with a bunch of the other dogs that are being trained. And, oh, no, she overhears everyone planning their scheme to bomb stuff. And then she gets caught. And so the guy that Lloyd was previously disguised as takes that knife and is like, we're going to do the only thing we can do now that she's overheard us. We're going to take care of it. And Anya's in trouble. And that's where the chapter ends. Yor has just realized Anya is missing. And of course, Lloyd is off somewhere having no idea what's going on. So, um, like I said, like the least fun chapter of Spy Family uh, so far, because, wow, she's actually in trouble. And we're going to have to wait for the, to the next chapter to see what's going on. It's interesting to see that, you know, this dog apparently sees the future. And so if Anya reads its mind, that means she can occasionally get premonitions of the future as well. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see exactly how this resolves. So I cannot wait for when that good ass doggo saves the day and everybody applauds him and is so happy for him. Cause look at that big old dude. He is the best. He's just the best dog. I don't know what his name is. He doesn't have one. He's my MVP for the week. I don't, I don't think there's, there's nothing else that's going to be better. That big fat old dog boy. Who's just, he's the future. He's so good. Look at those tiny little gentle eyes. Look at him. He's such a sweet boy. Oh, with his big floofer tail. He dies. That's what he has. He's my little penis. Yes, he is. He's my little <laughs> penis. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Eden Zero, because we had two chapters to discuss. <laughs> but it's and you know, normally Eden Zero wouldn't be too uh weighty, but these are two big fight chapters, so there's a lot to actually discuss this time. So chapter seventy four is Weiss versus Laguna. So last time, uh Hero wanted to become fucking Araki for a little bit, so we had a JoJo <laughs> fight. But now he's done with that part, so now it's just going to be generic show to punch they just him up. punch each other. <laughs> and uh, that's basically what happens. Weiss, using all of his arsenal abilities, can't actually get past this guy because he blocks everything with his water. And he's still got really good offensive powers because he's like, if you sharpen water enough or if you if you spray it hard enough, rather, it can cut through steel. Oh, hey, this, you know, you're using this to try to trick me, but that's not going to work. Uh, he keeps basically breaking off more and more of Weiss's armor and basically just pushing him to his limit. We start seeing like, oh, you're you're now getting to about 10 minutes now. Shutdown's imminent, you know, everything like that. It's the whole thing of just like playing back into the the, the past joke of like, oh, well, I'm going to get you to cry and that's how I'll beat you. Until eventually it's like, oh, your shutdown's going to be in 10 seconds. And then Weiss gets a call over the line from Hermit who's like, the cooling system, activate your cooling system. I'll move it in your suit. So they move the cooling uh, system in his or the cooling systems in his suit to his arm. So he basically freezes the water that's hitting him, and it 
like chain reacts, freezes all the way up to Laguna, and I guess breaks it, and he can't do anything with it then. So then Arsenal just punches him once and gets the victory. Which um, is the way a lot of fairy tale, like, I guess, hero fights feel like they go. That the hero punches we- the villain once, oftentimes, and it's like, now you're done! I have uh, this elemental power. Well, I have this elemental power. And then we'll just cancel them out and I'll punch you. <laughs> yeah. So we actually do get one really kind of cool moment where Weiss is like, hey, you're pretty smart, Harmit. She's like, ah, you finally see the truth. Getting the idea that, like, maybe the two of them are kind of going to be like a team because it would make sense. Uh, and then Wise is like, hey, now I'm you not got- all that impressed by the action that caused that compliment to come no. about. It's like, oh, she, she thought to use ice against a water guy. Come on, man. He's like, <laughs> also, it's like, how long were you getting your shit pushed in? And she was just like, how do you beat water? She's just how? Googling it. It's <laughs> like, Poke- no, I can't say Pokemon again. She's like, um, uh, Digimon <laughs> water weaknesses or something like that. Uh, so water I, Pokemon aren't water Pokemon aren't weak to ice. Come on, man. Yeah, um, but they're not strong against it. Their attacks do uh, half damage. So right. Uh, Weiss is like, hey, change my friends back, and he just gets fucking sniped like straight through the chest, which is kind of dope. Uh, and all everyone else gets like revived because i don't know i guess the water dude's dead so his magic jars explode open they don't really explain it but i guess that's just what happens and everyone's like what happened to weiss and we zoom out and we zoom out and we zoom out again and we see the flame sniper who's like yeah i'm gonna kill you guys because once i have you in my sights i never miss my mark uh, actually, it takes me a billion years to reload my gun after shooting once, but I'll get you. Also, I have a penchant to, when I have the shot lined up, take the non-lethal shots first, despite the fact the person I was aiming at wasn't moving. So any number of areas I shot would have been instantaneous death, but I have definitely chosen one he could recover from very easily. Not even ignoring that this is a world of magic robots with healing powers. I could have shot him through the head, but instead I shot him through the stomach rib. Yeah, it's like I could have hit the kidneys, the heart, the lungs, any area you really can't recover from if you don't like just you can't recover from. But, uh, you know, stomach shot, you know, that old classic, that old chestnut. Uh, chapter 75, then, is the follow-up. A wind blows through the Sakura Cosmos. And we follow up with our new character, who I don't... They haven't really named. So, I guess he's just the Flame Sniper. I don't know. Fucking Pino becomes CSI for a moment. And she's like, calculating trajectory of bullet. Calculating distance. I know where he she is. She goes... She goes into detective mode and is like, I need another shot so that I can line up the trajectory of the bullet. Scan it by holding A. <laughs> now I can trace the path of the bullet to find out where Deadshot shot this man from. <laughs> and then uh, she's like, I know where he is. So the amazing sniper in this group makes one shot, realizes he's kind of discovered, and he's like, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> Fires again. And uh, they stop his bullet. Shiki just kind of grabs it and uses his gravity to, like, slow it down to the point where he grabs it and then throws it back. And the guy's like, 
Oi, looks like you're a gravity user. I don't know why he's British now, but he is. Uh, and he's like, oh, they played a smokescreen. And I'm kind of super happy for this because I was like, all right, after the first shot, why did we not do something different? Because you kind of set up the idea of like, oh, there's a sniper hunting them down and they're in this fucking park as he's hidden somewhere in the city. And then after the first shot, they found exactly where he was. And I was like, oh, is it just not going to be more interesting than that? But uh, but Chalazar, whatever the fuck his name is, Sabin, whatever. I don't know. The old guy who was a bad guy in the other universe. Saber. Saber. He's like, hey, come with me. I'm going to take Wise back to my bar. So, Flame Sniper guy is pretty upset. There's a bunch of stuff. They're like, hey, Weiss isn't going to die. Probably. You know, we're going to try to. We put bandages on him. He's stable. Yeah. Uh, There's a bunch of jokes about Sister using her torture dungeon on Stretchy Lady. Uh, which isn't really no. Well, yeah, it had to be. It had to. Be, it had. It had to be the girl. You yeah. Know, well, so. the other two committed suicide. <laughs> that was an offhand joke in the last chapter. They're like the other two robots committed suicide, so we captured the one woman and we're gonna put her in the torture dungeon. Like, yeah, of course, it's, that's how your stories go, isn't it? Uh, the only thing that's worth significance is that sister says, "I know what you really are. How long are you gonna pretend to be human?" Uh, they also make reference that. There are senzu beans in this universe in the forms of energy drink yeah, cans much. that sister provide. So uh, Rebecca's like, I'm off. I'm going to go help. And I'm going to get in my little tiny spaceship and let's fly off. So she flies off. And then she's like, oh, wait a minute. There's a bunch of wind. How could there be wind in space? And we cut inside the other ship. There's a girl in there. Self, the element of wind who's on the job. Eh. It's just very boring kind of shonen action stuff. Like, this is kind of what I expected, what it was like. The Elemental Four here! I was like, it's just going to be a bunch of fights with elemental powers, which are kind of the most done thing in Battle Shonen. And to be honest, Hero never really does all that innovative stuff with his powers. So I feel like this is kind of what I expected. At least he's doing something that's a little bit different with each of them. Instead, just like this guy has fire and this guy has water. You know, he'll like turning someone into water by having them cry. The fire guy's a sniper who can snipe from a really far off distance, and it's a different kind of challenge being posed. Um, I also like the kind of chaotic element of like everyone's moving around, trying to meet up, trying to prevent people from meeting up, and stuff like that. There's also some detail in there about the stretchy girl that, oh, apparently she's not really human. And so sister wants her to reveal herself or something. But it's like, I don't really care because I barely got to know who she was at all. Also, I missed the guy who could shoot someone and they would die before they'd realized that they'd been shot. But. Uh, yeah, what it's whatever. It's, a, it's not all that important. Yeah. All right. Let's get into our newer series. Talk about. A Gravity Boys, Chapter 2, Downtown Boys, Uptown Girl. Uh, so She's been living in an uptown world? Just change all the lyrics to question marks at the end. I don't know enough of the song to keep oh. this going. So anyway. I don't know if I even uh, got the lyrics right. <laughs> we uh, get a recap of what happened in the first chapter. Four astronauts have, think that they're the last guys on left in humanity after they landed on this planet because nuclear war apparently broke out on Earth. But they find out 
that uh, they aren't the last four survivors, that there are, are records of other countries sending out ships at the same time as their own to colonize planets. So that means that there are other survivors that they could potentially meet up with. So they're like, oh, it'd be nice if we could get in contact with them. But, you know, in order to do that, I mean, it would be really difficult. And uh, the the smart one among them is like, yeah, we'll see. It's not just, you know, it would take them a really long time to get here. It's also that they, in order to even contact them at all, it would take years to, to do so because, you know, it takes that long just for to, to cover the space uh, between us. But the strange heavenly entity that gave them the chance for one of them to become a girl so that they could fuck uh, approaches them again. And it gives them uh, the opportunity to uh, have a faster than light communicator so that they could uh, communicate instantly with anyone within a 400 light year radius, lag free. So they're like, oh, wow, that, that our problems could be solved. But it says... However, I want to introduce you to this 17-year-old Puffin from the Space Maid Center on Planet Alesta, 2,120 light years away from here. This girl will come here once a week to clean for you as a maid, and I will pay for her annual dues and monthly installments, and of course, you are not to touch her. I chose her based on her looks, which I thought best matched your taste. I shall grant you foolish and pitiable boys only one or the other. You have ten minutes to choose which it will be. So... The setup is, oh, these boys are going to be fucking stupid and get all horny over this girl. And so they'll get distracted from what would be the logical choice. Uh, so. But the three of the, the three of them that aren't Chris are, are just like, well, we're just going to take advantage of the 10 minutes that we have by just, you know, like, hey, let's take pictures together and stuff. And so they're trying to figure out uh, um, stuff about her. Because they realize that they can see her, she can't see them, and she's basically just going about her day uh, while they're watching a hologram of her uh, when she's off, you know, light years away. So, but they're like, hey, you know, it'd be great, you know, with this communicator, we could you know, not only communicate with people of Earth, we could communicate with an alien species out there. So that's going to be really cool. Um, and then one of them realizes that she seems to be holding something and looking at it. So we get a little bit of a time lapse and, and the entity approaches them after their time has expired uh, to make their to make their decision. And it says, you know, what's your choice? And the main guy says the maid and the guy and the entity's like, ha, I knew you guys would be entertaining. But they say. We don't need her to come to the ship, however, and we don't need her cleaning services. We have a request to make instead. And we get an explanation that what they saw in her hands, they used the reflection off of her eyes in the hologram because they can't see anything that she's actually interacting with in the hologram. But they used the reflection in her eyes to determine what she was holding. And she was holding seemingly a picture of her family and she was crying over it. So they basically from this surmise that she had been separated from her family. And so they are using their one request not to have her come and see them, but to be for her to be set free so that she can go be with her family. And so the entity grants their request. And for an instant, the girl materializes in front of them. And then she seems to happily cry before she fades away and is transported away. And the entity explains that she was in a position much like them. Uh, got, she got sucked through a wormhole, ended up on a, a ruined on a planet all alone. And so it has fulfilled their request and sent her to her family. Uh, and so they're like, huh, I wonder if, if she understood what exactly it was we did for her. But anyway, you know, uh, that that would they feel like they've made the right choice. And uh, as a reward for their 
decision and for seemingly figuring out this puzzle sort of that was laid out for them, the entity does give them the communicator as a reward. So that's basically it. This is the, that, that, that's essentially what happens in this chapter. There's a little bit more silly stuff that happens in, in the end of it, but that's it. This was a much more likable chapter than the previous one, I will say, because there is, you know, some silliness in it. But it's like, hey, there's more than just to these guys than just they want to fuck. You know, there there is an element of intelligence to them and they there is a selfless aspect to these characters. So maybe this series will be OK after all. We'll see. So last week I mentioned that I was like I started reading it and I was like, eh, OK. And then it kind of won me over by the end that I was like, this is kind of a funny premise and everything like that. This week was the exact opposite. I started <laughs> off really excited for this chapter because they were like, all right, well, I guess we can't really do anything. So you have no way to like communicate with all these people. Like it would just take too long. And then just randomly the fucking super God shows up again. He's like, oh, I'm back. And I have the solution to your problem again. And they get all excited. He's like, but I, I, I was so excited. I was ready for something like, while you're using it, you'll get horrible diarrhea or like some like weird scenario goes like some hilarious like circumstance to go along with it. Anyway, he's like, you have to pick between the thing or the girl that there could be some humor out of it. And then it just kind of ends in like them actually making a good call and being good people. I was like, no, this is supposed to be a bunch of shitheads in space. What are you doing? So this chapter gets a big thumbs down for me. I really, I was like, I was so ready to be like, yeah, they're big dumb shitheads. They don't know what they're doing. This magical space god keeps showing up to be like, I don't know why I keep talking to you, but here I am again. I kind of want this this weird space uh, extra dimensional entity to keep showing up and for its like temptations to get more and more pathetic until it just becomes obvious that it just like really needs company and yeah. entertainment. He just shows up as like, she kicked me out, guys. <laughs> so <laughs> Can I crash here for a while? <laughs> you guys got any TV shows? <laughs> no. You guys been watching Mad Men? They're like, you mean that was that was done when we? <laughs> it was like six years ago that ended. Yeah, I know, it's just kind of, you know, so much good TV, not enough time. All right, guys, I'll give you a choice. We can watch Mad Men together, or I can launch you into the vacuum of space. What do you think? Uh, how long do we have to make the decision? Two seconds. Ah! <laughs> All right, I'll get the DVDs out. <laughs> he has DVDs. It's like, yeah, my bitch changed the Netflix passwords on me. <laughs> You get Netflix out here? Yeah, I'm an extra dimensional entity. I could have Netflix if I want. Well, why don't you just like sign up under a different account? Nah, I don't want to. I don't want to give them my email. <laughs> it's too much difficulty to set up a new Gmail account, you know. And then they want to verify with a phone number, and I don't want to. I don't want to think up of one. I mean, it's just too lazy to just use my old one with, like, another letter or number at the end. I'll never remember that. <laughs> I'll get confused to get the passwords mixed up. Mission, you the Kura family. Mission 17, Athletic War. Hey, the president from the last chapter is here again. And he is here to continue challenging Tayo by 
becoming a student at the school and he immediately buys everyone's loyalty by by giving them shit because he's rich as fuck. And then he just keeps on insisting that everyone realize that Tayo is trash and he is a god. They compete in athletics afterwards because, of course, they do. So, um, the president, like, and Tayo compete with each other in a quick foot race first, and the president somehow skids ahead of Tayo really quickly. And they're like, oh, wow, that's amazing. How, how, how did you do that? You set a world record. You dashed like, you know, 100 meters in like three seconds. How did you do that? He's like, and Tyler's like, did you cheat? And he's like, no, I won fair and square. Though it is true that these rolling sneakers can give you more speed with these special balls on the soles. But, you know, it's just like an athlete wearing spikes. So it's not cheating at all. And they're like, yes, it is. And that just kind of becomes the whole premise of the chapter is that uh, the president keeps on challenging Tayo and nobody is willing to call him out on cheating because he's bought them all off by giving them stuff. And uh, the president says that Kyoichiro has promised him that he will be allowed to shake hands with Mutsumi uh, if he beats Tayo at every single uh, athletic competition that they have today, uh, which really upsets Mutsumi. So Tayo is determined to protect her this way. Because Kyoichiro basically is like, yeah, so what happens is you'll have failed to protect her and I'll kill you and then I'll kill this guy for bothering Mutsumi. So they can be in a bunch of different ways uh, with the president continuing to just use these absurd devices to, to cheat. Eventually it comes down to the very last uh, competition, a soccer match between the two of them. And uh, so Tayo's like, all right, I've just got to, you know, ignore this guy. I've just got to get around him without you know, giving him a chance to cheat me. And they manage to, like, tap feet. And the president's like, ah, oh, foul, foul. Oh, I'll die if I don't get a penalty kick. And I insist that they get two in a row. And the, and the coach is just like, yes, you get those. And Tayo's like, this is bullshit. So um, the president does the first penalty shot. And it launches, like, a fucking cannon right over Tayo's shoulder. And uh, he's like... Yes, I'm going to beat you this way. But it turns out the president's real intention is not actually to beat Tayo in this competition. It's just to nail him with this fucking absurd cannonball uh, soccer kick uh, because he knows that if he actually wins this competition, that Kyoichiro will kill him. So instead, he'll kill Tayo with this as as a cover. So he launches the second uh, penalty kicked and Mutsumi insists that Tayo get out of the way. But instead... He does a proper fucking Shaolin soccer, just draw, stops the stops the ball in both hands and and wins uh, that way. So uh, the president's like, "How did you do that?" And Taya's like, "I didn't do anything. I just couldn't avoid it for Mutsumi's sake." Uh, so the president gets really mad. He stomps his foot, really upset, and of course his super powered uh, cleats that he's wearing for the soccer match end up activating swing up into his face and he fucking smashes his own nose in and also breaks his leg and uh that's why where he winds up at the end of the chapter in a hospital bed and tayo is victorious once more and uh that was it it was better than the previous chapter involving these two but that's about all i can say about it i say was it ah this one just felt empty to me i feel like we've gotten the same thing out of tayo a lot where it's just like i really care about her so I'll stand here and get beaten up, but my love will hold me strong. And it just doesn't feel like there's more to it than that. And I'm getting kind of bored of it. 
like I guess it's better than if they had just gone with some jokes because the jokes in this chapter aren't funny. But I don't know. It doesn't help that the the president is not a very compelling antagonist in the slightest. Uh, there are, I mean, there. This chapter is full of jokes, and maybe one or two of them were kind of funny, but that's about it. And the president's just very—he's just such a simple character in term in terms of the execution in this one. There was a little bit more to him in the previous one when I talked about like, oh yeah, you know, he has really good intentions. He wants to help the world. He's just a real shithead about the way he's going about it, and the way that he treats people in the immediate sense. And this one is just like, he really hates Tayo and he wants to beat him. So he's cheating and that's it. So. Samurai hate chapter 31. This wasn't the deal. I am altering the deal. Pray do not alter it any further. So this they. This wasn't the deal, Blackheart. This wasn't the deal. They go into Ben K's base in order to stop him. And, um, little robot drones show up to attack them so they cut through them really easily uh ben K's goons on the ground are like this wasn't the deal as they're confronting samurai and they're like we're gonna beat you and take your keys and then then sell them to him and they're like wait a minute he's pointing a weapon at the plane he's gonna kill us ben you bastard this wasn't the deal oh everyone's betraying everyone isn't this compelling Sen R2-D2 hacks into the wall and opens up the doorway. And then he's like, I'm searching for the route to the cockpit. And I've disabled all isolation walls on the way. So now we'll share this route between us. And they're like, this is all thanks to your master for gaining information from Benkei. And then they're like, way to take charge, Sen. He just did the most obvious thing. Again, send the silence. Super smart. So... Benkei's like, oh no, they're using all the memories they stole from me in order to get through this way. But then if they know that, how much do they know? They might even know about Plan C. Ah, and it seems that they that also they've revealed Kosuka's truth, what actually happened. All right, then I'm going to use the ship to link up to, to Yushitsune's key, and then I'll use that to capture them. And then there were, everyone's running down the halls, uh... Sen tries to throw, launch his sword blade through the air and kill Benkei before he can do anything, but misses his head. So he's just like, all right, I'll just, you know, pull pull a freaking Kylo Ren and move the lightsaber from over here and try and cut through you that way. And Benkei's like, no. And then he summons a bunch of poles with tentacles and they grab everyone. And they're like, ah, this caught us off guard. He can control everything from here. And so uh, the only one that he hasn't captured with this technique is he's like, ah, Kotsuga, whose side are you on? And he's like, well, you killed my mom and tricked my dad. And Benke's like, so? You make a good point. So he's like, kill me if you're mad at me. Otherwise, here, take this sword and cut off their heads and I'll let you live. And they're like, no, Kotsuga. And so he approaches Ryu first and starts swinging the sword when the chapter ends. I'll bet he's definitely got to kill his best friend. Ben sucks. This character still sucks. (laughs) I'm still shocked we're not done this thing yet. Like, he's like, I'll give you one more chance. Kill them all. Why do you you believe him? You've got no reason to believe he'll be loyal to you. (laughs) Like... 
this dude is just nothing but a goober of incompetence that keeps surviving. And it's never by his own, like, ingeniousness or just, like, with chicken shit tactics. It's just, like, everyone, the second before they just cut his fucking head off, lose all power, or he just, like, goes somewhere else. And they're like, well, (laughs) we're done with him now. How great would it have been if, like, when Sen was, like, moving his sword with the force and it was starting to cut into him if he was just like, oh, I've got to go, and he just, like, walks away from it. He's like, oh, that sword's pretty sharp. I'm going to be over here now. (laughs) He just outruns it by just casually walking away. (laughs) Like, I, I... It's not even that, like, he's got no reason to believe that this kid is going to be loyal to him. He's also got nothing to benefit from it. What does he have to gain by having this guy remain loyal to him? He's willing to kill everyone else that's on the planet. What's this shitty kid got to offer him? I mean, nothing. Yeah, I was like, he's already kind of got what he, I guess he didn't get what he wanted, per se, because he's not necessarily going to be adding any more. Well, no, he's going to get all the fucking weapons of the people on the ship. So he gets all those. So there's nothing. He doesn't need the kid. I don't know. It's there, I guess. Zipman, chapter three. Force it open. Sorry, that was it. Was really hard to read the text there. Uh, so the new zipper suit uh, person, villain, cutie Flash, who was a magical girl looking thing, uh, has shown up. Still terrorizing. Uh, oh, gosh, I've forgotten her name. I'll remember it in a second. But Jack Man is here because the brothers uh, have uh, met up and they have bond and they have fusioned again. So Cutie Charm, that was her name. So uh, so they rescue her and uh, she prepares a laser. And uh, I do like that. They're very that. Uh, oh, it's not Kagami. It's. Anyway, main character guy, <laughs> Devil Gorilla. I'll, rem- I'll remember all this stuff eventually. It's only the third chapter. Give me a break. Uh, I do like how he's like very familiar with the character that uh, she is similar to, uh, which is basically a pretty cure reference because he's like, oh, yeah, it's not all just like magical wands and stuff. It's it's actually really innovative with its with its martial arts uh, use in uh, magical girl stuff. Uh, so they have a fight. And they try and use the 100,000 power jack rocket thing again, the rocket punch thing. And she just deflects it by shooting it, uh, her laser at it. And it just goes into the wall behind her. And they're like, oh, this is bad. So fortunately, China ends up uh, go, get, recovering the zipper thing that uh, Q-Charm had uh, knocked away from her before. And they happen to spot China running away with it. And so uh, Koshiro gets the idea of like, maybe that is connectable to these suits. And he looks down at the zipper arm, the same one that they launched the rocket fist from. And they're like, oh, right, let's, let's the, the, we, we could use that. And so Koshiro calls out to her and is like, hey, I need that part back. Please help me. So China throws it back to them and uh, Koshiro thanks her. And then they he's like, all right, this is just an idea. But, you know. Just slide it into the into the right arm zipper and then put it in and open it. And sure enough, the arm opens up and there's an attachment that looks like this huge engine with like turbines and stuff. Uh, and it grows into a fist. Uh, and it's absurdly heavy. But uh, for, fortunately, Devil Gorilla is really strong and determined. And so they are able to lift it. They launch this huge rocket fist uh, at uh, Q Charm. 
who blasts it with her laser again, blows a hole in it, and she's like, ah, ha, 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 ha. But they have just used this as an opening to instead getting close as they rushed in behind it. They reach out for the Q-Charm zipper and rip it open. And this seems to expose the person within. And we only get a very brief glimpse of their face as the chapter ends. So this is an all right chapter. But Nick, this is the very significant chapter. This is the chapter three where we, as the hosts of Weekly Manga Recap, decide whether or not we're going to continue reading Zipman or not. I would like to continue doing so. And so it shall be. Okay. You're, you just don't really care, do you? <laughs> no, it's like answer. I'm waiting for it to kick into the next gear, um, like you, but I do think that there is uh, an interesting idea uh, in terms of like you have to rip open the suit in order to win the battle. So it's kind of like, you know, there's this that's that's the win condition. And it can provide some unique uh, uh, fights, I think, because it doesn't matter how much they beat the shit out of each other. It's like, OK, we got to grab that zipper and we got to destroy it that way. So I do like the zipper part of it being like an actual element is pretty sweet. And it has the attachments and stuff. So. All right. Let's talk about we never learn, Nick. The day's arrived. Question 140. The time of pizza bet. The day has arrived. It is the secondary exam. Sounds so epic. It's <laughs> <laughs> the time of pizza, bad, bad, bad. Uh, and we start off by showing Karasu as the vice principal's like, so it's a big day. Are you worried about the students? She's like, absolutely not. And I'm like, really? Because you're shredding super important documents for today's meeting. So she actually cares. Uh, then we cut over to Aruka, who's doing her interview for the exchange program. And the person speaking to her in English is like, hello, I am Leonardo. Pleased to meet you. So she's like, okay, just got to. It's really intimidating. This guy in a suit with sunglasses. Mm. He he definitely has an imposing figure. So she's like, oh, yeah, you know, nice to meet you. He's like, well, what do you want to study in university? She's like, I would like to study, you know, cutting edge sports physiology. And I'd like to enhance my... Oh, you'd fail the English exam, Chris. (laughs) Me no talk good. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, he's like, okay, good. Well, what in your high school life so far has really epitomized the joys of youth? And I was like, shit, these are questions that I don't know if I can answer in English. I'd be like, mom, be like, study hall and eat food good. If, I mean, if I got asked this question, I would have probably been like, I mean, high school is kind of a miserable experience, honestly. Like, I didn't really connect with anyone in my year. Everyone kind of made fun of me for being a nerd. And I had to get along with people in the class under me who were just as nerdy as me instead of the people around me who should have been had my back. And uh, also, I was grounded into dust by the hor- horrors of a magnet program. Next question. Thank you. <laughs> They're like, hmm. Now do it in French. <laughs> Is uh, parlez-vous <laughs> he's like yes yes uh, <laughs> this is how you speak French we you get yes you good you very good uh lady in the water great movie oh you mastered everything you needed to learn <laughs> Um, so she's, she starts giving her explanation. She's like, okay, this is a sample answer I was supposed to give. So I would like to, you know, devote myself tirelessly to the academic and athletic. He's like, stop, 
I see that you've prepared very well for your interview today, but I want you to forget all of that. Don't recite answers you remembered. I'm here to talk to you as a human being. Say the answer in your own words. And she starts thinking, she like gets caught up because she's like, uh, I don't know. I didn't study for, like, we didn't practice this part. Uh, what do I do? What do I do? And she starts thinking. And she thinks to the notebook that's in her, her suitcase, the one that Uega had given her. And she's like, you know, the message that was in there is like, hey, you're ready. Just answer with your usual bold style. So she says, a notebook. And he's like, a notebook? Not swimming? She's like, yes, this notebook epitomizes the joys of youth to me. This notebook has energized me. It's helped me have more passion for swimming. And it's also connected me to the people I love with my whole heart. And we cut around to the other girls and see that they're all kind of in the same situation. You know, uh, Ogata's like reading through text and she thinks about Uega's reductive reading and she starts doing it. Firmino's looking at an equation. She's like, oh, right. Uh, now that, you know, Uega taught me about it, I feel like I could do anything. You know, uh, Asumi's like, oh, okay, I'll just, you know, I, I'm glad I went over this with, with Uega and this one. So last year, my field of vision was so narrow, but now everything's so clear. And uh, Ogata's talking somebody. to herself during the exam. She needs to shut the fuck up. Yeah. She's going to get failed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they all have their moments, and we continue with Aruka's narration of her saying, like, it all started with these notebooks, and these notebooks tied us together. We all strove toward our own dreams, crying, laughing, giving everything we had, plus spending time with all those people I loved. The days flew by, and that was the epitome of youth for me. And the interviewer takes off his glasses, and he's like, that concludes our interview. I hope you continue to enjoy your youth, Miss Aruk. And he has the cutest eyes in the universe. There's like sparkles in them, little tiny beady eyes, but the rest of it is so bright and jellyful. His little tiny eyelashes that poke up. He's she's just like, oh my god, your eyes are so cute. He's like, oh, you think so? I do get that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we cut over to Uego. It's like, all right, I got through it. And he's like, oh, I really don't know. And all the girls are there to be like, well, except Kirisu, but that's probably for the best. They're like, congratulations, you're done. You know, let's go celebrate. He's like, yeah, but, you know, we haven't really found out what the results are. They're like, no. And here's a thing of flowers. Thank you for being our teacher. You know, we're all so happy. And the chapter ends with the girls trying to hand him the bouquet and tripping and falling into him. As Asumi watches off of the side and is like, I hope they don't kill him, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and also, there's like some passersby who are like, oh, oh, are they upset because they bombed their test? And, and Asumi's just like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but a very, very sweet chapter. It was very nice, yes. We're, weird ending, but it was a really nice chapter overall. Mm-hmm. Dr. Stone with Time another. Get stoned! With another two-page color spread for this week, with, with showing off Sukasa's negative 10% body fat. Look look at him. Does he eat? What's wrong with him? He has, before this photo shoot, he didn't drink water for 24 hours ahead of time. God. I always think poor. back to that, and I'm like, fucking poor Hugh Jackman did it for that mediocre movie of the Wolverine. A movie I still enjoy, but you think back, you're like, no one's going to remember that movie. And that man dehydrated himself just so he could look as humanly good as possible for one shirtless fight scene. I like that movie. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. It's just, like... I Shit guess villain. Yeah, well, but... I'm like, I guess it ranks somewhere in the top five of X-Men movies, but, like, 
not like I don't have passion for it. If someone was like, I fucking hate the Wolverine. I think it's the stupidest movie ever. I'd be like, yeah, I thought it was okay. Like it's like if someone told me they were like, I think um Winter Soldier shit. I'd be like, well, fuck you and your family. I'll fight you to the death <laughs> on this. They're like, I thought Rat Race was a dumb movie. It's like, how dare you? It was the genius ensemble comedy of our time. I'll fucking stab you in your sleep. I think a lot of people thought the Rat Race was stupid, Chris. I'm sorry to say. No, it was brilliant. Hey, look, it's Smash Mouth. <laughs> it was the best. I love Smash Mouth. It was the perfect end to that movie. They all actually, got up on stage th- actually, and danced to Smash Mouth. When you think about it, I think that that, prob- that, pro- that that movie's probably better now because of that ending now than it would have been five years ago. <laughs> it kind of went on an uh, arc. <laughs> now it's better than ever. Not sure about that. I was but, like, <laughs> Cuba Gooding Jr. has never been higher in the public consciousness than he was here. Cuba Gooding Jr. was in that movie? Yes, Jesus. he was. <laughs> Along with a lot of other actors and actresses you probably don't remember. Did you know, know John that- Lovitz had a major part in that movie? Yes, yes, he was. He had uh, like a few. He was the family man, I think, that was yeah. deceiving his family. Yeah. yeah, and he made his daughter shit out the window. Yes. Good times. He also uh, steal Hitler's car. There's a Hitler yeah. joke in there. <laughs> Back when Hitler jokes were just clean fun. Anyway, Yo's got the fucking thing. He's got the petrification device. But oh no, Ibarra's pouncing down out of the air with his mouth wide open. Um, Is there something wrong with his fucking teeth, by the way? His I teeth think- look weird in this shot. I think after seeing him, there's something wrong with my teeth. Like, I'm like, why aren't my teeth as cool looking as that? Why don't I have a second layer of my teeth? I think it's just that we're seeing the teeth in the background going over those in the foreground. But it looks like they're, like, stacked on top of each other. And it looks very strange. They also look very thick for teeth. Yes. Also... Uh, the important thing is that as he dives into the water, as he's passing by, yo, he says three meters, one second. And that activates the device, which petrifies yo. And of course, he drops it and he gra- and then Ibrahim is able to grab it. He spots Orashi uh, floating around in the water, wondering what the hell's going on. And he's like, all right, all right, I'll hand him the device. I, I don't know. OK, I've got it. I, I know what I do. Well, I'll do. Uh, so he thinks of a plan. He. um puts the Medusa in his mouth and says 2,000 meters, 15 minutes. Uh, And he's able to say this because the thing's actually inside his mouth. So Uh, then he grabs Orashi and he starts and he palms the device with the other hand while he's pulling Orashi towards him. Then we cut away uh, to everyone up on the shore. Uh, People are running and Ukiyo's like, wait a minute. I heard something. I heard Something about meters and seconds and the ominous sound of the device because he heard it when uh, it was set up next to Yo. And then all of a sudden, Orashi comes rushing out of the water and starts charging up up the shore. Like, What's going on? He's going towards the center of the island. And uh, Ukiyo's like, all right, Taiju, you know, use your voice and let everyone know. And so Taiju cries out, hey, he's got the Medusa. And uh, so everyone starts rushing after Orashi trying to catch him. Basically, everyone who's, you know, even 
not even like all just the people that you would think would typically handle the physical work. Like I think like Gen's running towards him. So, yeah. So they're trying to do this. Uh, a bunch of the guards try and stop them because they don't really know what's going on, but they realize they've got to protect him. But eventually uh, Magma and uh, Kinro and Nikki manages managed to pile on top of him. But Arashi's just like power and just bursts out of them and keeps on running. So, yeah, he's basically like Udawara of this series. Mm. Um, Ibarra is watching this from a very safe distance. Uh, and he thinks to himself, like, yeah, in terms of just sheer power, no one can match him. So they're not going to be able to stop him. So uh, everyone's desperate thinking, like, what do we got to do? How, you know, how do we stop him? Should, maybe it's not it's too late for us to actually go out into the sea to try and escape. Senku tries to think what kind of options are available to him. Chrome thinks about it. He's like, all right, all right. Well, when the petrification beam happened, you know, the last time it happened, uh, and we get a narration saying that, you know, everyone was trying to do something at that moment. You know, Ryusui was rescuing Suika. Ukyo tried to shoot it down. Chrome wasn't staring dumbfounded, however. He observed. And while observing the petrobeam for the first time, he was doing science. And so he says to Senku that the last time that the light appeared... He tracked it, and when the Petra Beam spreads out, it goes at a set speed. So he rushes ahead of Senku, and uh, Ryusui's like, ah, you've got something on. He's like, yes, we're going to make an awesome move. And so Ryusui's on board with it, whatever it is. We cut up ahead to Arashi. Finally, Taiju fucking tackles him. Taiju, the linebacker here. And they've got him. They've got him. Yeah, all right. Let's get the device and throw it away. And they're like, uh, he doesn't have the device. And Orashi's like, oh, Minister Ibarra said that if I don't get to the island center, that, that if I get to the island center, that I won't turn to stone. And it turns out that Ibarra fucking made him swallow the goddamn device. And so it activates inside of his fucking stomach as they're all staring over him horrified. And the last thing we see is everyone slowly being enveloped from the be- by the beam as Ibarra just kind of smirks to himself uh, from off in the distance. So, ooh, what's gonna happen next? Cool chapter. Yeah, it's 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 exciting. I do like the the way we see Chrome add his big part to all this. And I like how Ibarra really does feel smart and effective in all this, and yes. he manages to use the pieces around him. It makes him a compelling villain. So it seems as though because we see, you know, Crumb getting swallowed up by it uh, and he warns Senku, like, it's up to him now. He's like, you've got to do this, that it seems as though basically everyone got enveloped by the beam because they were being they were trying to chase down Orashi except for Senku. So um, presumably he's still inside of the range of the of the device, but maybe he'll have time to react to it. Yep. So. All right. Chainsaw Man. Chapter 51, Dark Diving. It's down to a face-off between Denji and Reyes. She starts things off by blowing off one of his arms, mm-hmm. like you do. As you do. Uh, he gets back up. Reyes says, you know, this is really annoying. Can you just die now, please? And Denji says, well, you know, if you want that to happen, you could have just killed me the first time we met. And Reese doesn't really respond to this. She just said, you know, he's got nowhere to run. But Angie says, well, not really. And he gestures to the water behind them. And he's like, I mean, you taught me how to swim. And that was a big mistake. So uh, 
he tries to use his chainsaw again. He revs up himself by pulling the cord. She blows off his other arm, but he's got his arms on chains now. And he lashes them around her, ties her up, uh, pulls her in close to, to him and says, can you explode when you're wet? And he throws them both over the side, the edge of the uh, docks, and they both sink into the water together and sink all, all the way to the, the bottom. Both of them kind of have a recollection of when they were playing around in the water together when she was teaching him to swim. Time passes. The sun rises. We cut to the shore where uh, Denji has uh, is sitting there along with Riz and Beam, and they're both they're all regenerated. They're they've all got all their body parts and stuff. Uh, Beam's not doing so well. Uh, he's sucking the air, but uh, he's alive clearly. Uh, and Riz is like, "Why did you revive me?" And Denji says, well, "Well, I'm living a wonderful life, and even if I get beaten black and blue, go through hell, and die again and again, as long as I get to eat good grub the next day, I can wipe the ledger clean. But if I arrested you right here." and turned you over to public safety, I feel like there'd be a fishbone stuck in my throat. Even if I'm living this wonderful life, there's going to there's be this stabbing pain in the back of my throat. Sometimes it'd suck. So Ray's like, I mean, I could still kill you right now. And But then he just says, well, if I'm going to get killed, let it be at the hands of a hottie. That's my motto. I mean, now I guess it is, but all right. <laughs> but Reese thinks this is funny. And he's like, do you actually think that I like you? I mean, look, I literally everything I did to seduce you, that was all part of my training. I, it was a lie. And he kind of does stare at her in shock and bewilderment for a second. But then she turns away and says, I spent too much time fighting you, so I'm leaving now. And she leaves. Denji offers her the chance to run away with him. Uh, and they could, you know, hey, they'd have a better chance if they were together, working together. And Reese points out, hey, you know, if you do that, you're going to be aiding and abetting a murderer, Denji. I've killed a lot of people. And Denji's like, well, a man's got to do what a man's got to do. You say it was all alive, but isn't it true that you taught me how to swim? And so she leans in close and kind of grabs him around the back of the neck and punches him in the throat. And, uh, walks off while he collapses to the ground. And she just says, you need to wise up a bit. He calls after her says that he'll be waiting for her at noon at the cafe uh, and she's gone. Uh, Beam wakes up when Denji calls to him and Denji's like, I can't move my arms. I think she broke my neck. <laughs> so Beam reaches out to try and rev uh, his engine so that he can, you know, properly heal himself. Uh, we cut to the apartment that uh, Denji shares with power and all them. And uh, he packs up an envelope with some cash, packs up a backpack, and he leaves. So, hmm. He is definitely serious about this idea of running off with Rays, despite the fact that they had this huge knockdown dragout brawl where many bystanders were killed. So, who knows how this is going to turn out. There's something... So, I, I love this chapter a lot. And one of the parts that's really weird to me is the, the relationship that these two have is this kind of super engaging one so much so that the moment happens dingy's arms are blown off and he ties her up with his chainsaw treads basically and then throws them both into the water and they're sinking to the bottom and my thought was this is kind of romantic in a way like i can't explain <laughs> it 
But it's weird that there's this weird kind of intimate moment that the two of them are spending at the bottom of an ocean like that. Yeah. You know, as a payoff to their with their with their heads right next to each other, you know, just kind of sinking into unconsciousness and possible death. And you're watching it's their faces are just monsters. It's just it's Ah. it's monster things and jagged teeth. That's it. But there's something romantic about it that I can't quite explain. And as you get to the end of it, and it's her being like, all right, well, I'm out. That was all a lie. And it's him like, I don't think it was. And I don't know. Like, I th- I believe that there is something there on her end, but I think she's also pushing a lot of it away. But I feel like we're going to not get that in the next chapter. Like, Denji's going to show up at that cafe and no one's there. And he kind of reluctantly goes back there. But, but I don't know. I, I just... I'm very excited. It, it hit me in a real emotional way that I really enjoyed. Also, he gave her his shirts so that she would be decent when she woke up. So that was nice. Yeah. Uh, where did her choker go? Because isn't that how she transforms? Uh, uh, good point. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like I sat there. I was like, I mean, did she can't lose the, the tread that starts them off? So I'm like, or the chain. I was like, so does her neck thing just appear whenever she puts one on or something i don't know i hate to tell you this chris but the artwork in chainsaw man isn't the best sometimes <laughs> what are you trying to say <laughs> all right what are oh, we on now okay, never mind. i'm seeing i'm seeing rings in other scenes so i guess she just lost the choker all right let's talk seven deadly sins then nick with two super big chapters with so much to talk about. God, why did you do this to us? So let's start with chapter 335, What the Witch Has Always Wanted. We start with a big color page. It says, when the balance between light and shadows breaks down, it will mark the end of the Age of Gods and chaos will return. My gluttonous daughter who is starved for affection and ravenous for knowledge, you have precipitated that brilliantly. So we get our big two-page spread, all of all the sins. And Some unique color. poses that they're striking, mm-hmm. like odd body positions. A but lot of them really dynamic. Yeah, I would say a lot of them look like they're falling. Like all of them just slipped on ice. <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's what you don't see is that all of them are slipped, and they're just really angry at someone. <laughs> we slipped, but we're pissed at you. <laughs> ice. Uh, so we start off the chapter. It's all the demon, uh, seven deadly sins at this big party. And a bunch of people are talking about Merlin's scar, about how ugly it is. And they're like, ah, it's kind of a shame. She was so beautiful. Uh, and she's overhearing this. And Elizabeth walks up and it's like, hey, you know, it's none of my business. But if you want, I can heal that burn wound away. And Merlin's like, do you think it's ugly? And Elizabeth says, no, I think it's very beautiful. And if you're OK with it, then so am I. And everyone else kind of like they're all supportive. And I was like, this is weird. I'm not used to this in this series. I assume so. And then Meliodas is like, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> they mentioned like, yeah, you know, with that scar, Escanar still lives on, you know, but I'm I'm sad he's gone. But everyone can be happy. You know, Melodius used up all of his demon lord power, so he doesn't have to go back to the demon world. Elizabeth's curse has been broken. They just go one by one saying how everybody's kind of got what they want. And then they're like, oh, wait. What did you want, Merlin? You never really talk about yourself very much. You never really talk about yourself. Like, yeah, that's a good point. We're 335 chapters into this. We have not, no idea what, what makes Merlin tick. Well, it turns out it was for a big reveal. <laughs> yeah. And Merlin, they're like, yeah, what do you want, Merlin? She's like, well, 
I suppose you do have an obligation. Like, her eyes turn evil immediately, and she's like, I suppose you do have a reason to know. So let's go. And she teleports them all away. They're over where the lake is. There's also where Boar's Hat is. So they reunited with Hawk uh, to no one's happiness except Nick's. And they're like, well, what's that giant lake up there? Oh, that's the magic from the lake. What is that still doing there? And Roland's like, I'm going to wake up Arthur now. And like, they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and she does some fucking hand motions and fucking opens up a portal. And Arthur, with a sword still stabbed through him, comes out. And they're like, you're going to wake up Arthur? And she's like, yeah. And then the lake starts talking. It's like, it seems the time has come to say hello to your and all master. And Merlin's like, you know what? I was wrong, Arthur. This wasn't a sword to doom you to death. It was a key to lead you to the next stage. Now, O oh key, use that magic that fills the lake and open the door. And some, yeah, we see some clicking and then a clunk and a giant wave of light comes out. And what emerges afterwards is Arthur Pendragon and he's alive. And Merlin says, of all the races, humans are the most contradictory beings, possessing both the good extremes, the extremes of good and evil, light and shadow, and no contradiction, and contradiction is no different from chaos. In other words, a human who has been chosen by the saint of chaos will become he who commands chaos. My goal was to awaken Arthur as the lord of chaos. Bum, bum, bum. What does that mean? Let's find out right yeah. now. <laughs> now. <laughs> Any second now, because Crunchyroll's chapters load super quick. Chapter 336, The Lord of Chaos, with a super evil picture of Arthur. Oh, I look evil. This is going to be a revelation that I'm evil. Yes, it's not a it's not a way to dupe you into thinking everything's going to be evil, and then nope. there's a little bit more of a complicated answer. No, I'm evil. I'm evil, Merlin, or Arthur, now. So Arthur's like, oh, what's happening to my body? And Merlin's like, just embrace it. This is time for you to awaken the immeasurable magic inside of you. And she's like, he's like, what are you talking about? She's like, just keep going. (laughs) And he's screaming. She's like, when the king awakens, he will release the seal of chaos and chaos will return home to the king. So Melodia starts flying towards him like, hey, what's you seem like you're in pain. And Arthur sees him and remembers that Melodius was part of the group that killed him. And he's like, no, I will never let demons have their way with Britannia. And we get one of the craziest two-page spreads ever of just shit happening. I can't describe There's it. There's a plot here! There's... <laughs> Outside of the ending two-page spread of Toriko where there was just a gun in space, no two-page spread has left me more speechless as to what I was looking at. There's like, I mean, there's a mountain like getting drawn up into like a black hole. There's a face with an eye for a mouth. There is a house with an arm. There's a brick spire. That has multiple eyes gouging out of it. Yeah, there's a bunch of weird shit that's going on. Yeah, a bunch of crazy stuff. Uh, everyone's like, what's happening? What are you doing? Is this this isn't a hallucination? This is reality. Merlin, is this what you're doing? And uh, a giant like statue with a, a, a pendulum for an arm is like swinging around. So Bond has to save uh, Melodius from that. And then like a flower opens up and a bunch of uh, you, you can't really describe it. Just shit comes out. 
and it is really dangerous. And then Melodius gets beamed in the face by a gigantic D20, which is maybe my favorite um, moment of the whole That chapter. is a D12, sir. <clears throat> Sorry, D12. My bad. I, I meant to say D12. I got distracted because people in the chat were saying a D8, and I was like, no. That's not a D8 at all. <laughs> Unless they're really big two sides on the other side to cover the other two numbers. Um, but yeah, there's a whole bunch of chaos, and, and, and things are just going insane. And uh, you see Arthur saying, like, Sir Melodius, I looked up to you, so why, why? And Merlin grabs him and like, kind of, you know, kind of embraces him. And is like, no, no, Mer- Melodius did not betray you. That is a fact. Do not let your powers consume you. Come now. It's okay. And he kind of calms down. He's like, Merlin? And everything goes back to normal. And they're like, what the fuck? Learns, like, the Melodius you met back then is not the true Melodius. You must understand as proof of that, Elizabeth and the Seven Deadly Sins are all here with you. And he's like, oh, wow, wow that was the mistake of a lifetime. You're like, what was that, boy? <laughs> and Well, uh, interestingly, something that happens is because Meliodas like, was starting to go into like his demon emperor form and stuff. And uh, Bon had his, uh, his, his weapons out. And I think, uh, let me double check real quick. Um, but then once everything snaps back to normal then it's like nothing ever happened. Like everyone is just, you know, as if they're kind of positioned as, as they were before, but nobody's actually like in battle mode or anything. Uh-huh. So. So, uh, Arthur's just like, yeah, I'm just happy to see you guys. And, uh, Melody's like, so Merlin, what did you do to Arthur? Like, what do you mean by chaos? She's like, well, chaos is an impure and pure ad- entity of darkness that even the demons fear and of light that even the goddess worship you know its power is immense it's believed that with every single attention it brought about this world and all the races from nothingness so uh, the best way to describe this actually is weird because we just had this conversation in dice funk that when people tend to think chaos they tend to think like randomization or stuff like that but in a lot of biblical and like scriptural sense it's just what was before order kind of came around and she's like yeah arthur you command chaos and you are the king who will lead britannia into a new world and melissa kang he's like why would you awaken a power that's both a blessing and a curse what are you plotting what is your wish and merlin smiles and says my wish and the lake's like excuse me i i wish to mansplain this allow me to speak on answers merlin's behalf and I will tell you the tale of a wish made by a single lonely wish, a uh, witch who wandered the land in search of chaos. Backstory dump. Yep. I like these this. This is really, yeah, this is really odd. Um, I'm not really clear on the direction that uh, we're going with this, but I'm interested to learn more at least. So. Mm-hmm. Seems like it could be really cool. The Promised Neverland. The batch is going down. Chapter 161. Never be alone. Oh, no. The rapture guys showed up to capture people. Oh, no. And they uh, meet up with uh, Norman's men who uh, met up with them. And they're like, ah, oh, uh, you defeat the queen. Yeah, she's dead. Cool. Let's get to base. They go to Norman's base. But, oh, they come across Oliver on the way. And he's like, uh, something happened. Everyone's gone. And so Julian and Nigel were the ones to reach the base first, but by the time they got there, uh, everyone was gone. And so uh, everyone was taken away. All the people in the base were taken away, including the lookouts. And like, well, where were they taken? And so they managed to uh, fi- take 
uh, some demons who are at the base waiting to ambush us, and uh, we made them spill it. And they're like, ah, the escapees. Uh, they're being transferred to the closest high security top class farm to be processed as food. Gracefield House. I said, like, ah, if it's Gracefield House, it is under Everk's jurisdiction. Easier to hide the escapees from the other aristocrats to offer them to the queen. And they're like, well, but how do we deal with 2,000 Imperial soldiers? And they're like, well, I mean, that's seven times as many as we handed out at the castle, but we had Gielan's army then. We don't have a demon force to throw at these soldiers. So, and, and Oliver's like, yeah, we've got like 10 people here that they can, that can, that can help us. And um, we're wounded. And most of the Lambda are out of commission. So what do we do? And it was like, we're going to go. Let's go save everyone. And he's like, yeah, we just need to discuss how to, how we're going to do it. Emma, I mean, we got to think of a plan. And <laughs> Vincent's like, do you have a plan? And she's like, nope. That's why we have to think of one and then go. Instead of thinking we can't do it. What now? We have to think we can do it. How do we go about it? It's going to be okay. The three of us, Norman, Ray, and me, are together. And also there's you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she says, you know, we've we've changed the world now. Little old us born in cages changed the world this much, and we're just one step away. We're at the point of being one step away now. 2,000 Imperial soldiers in the Ratchet clan, that's nothing. We can do it. We'll pull it off. So Norman laughs, and he's like, yeah, I think we can do it. And so everyone starts to get more optimistic about their chances and they start to set off together. And Emma thinks to when Norman told her, you know, you're not alone. And she's like, I remember this situation, this sensation. It's okay if I'm weak because we're not alone. That's why we humans are strong. And so there's this big two page spread to end the chapter with all of the remaining human forces all gathered together. There's way more than 10 of them. What the fuck are you talking about? Uh, but everyone's really cool posing with their weapons and stuff as they look over the Gracefield house and they're like, all right, this is it. And Emma says, let's go. Everyone's waiting. So I do like the idea of, you know, everything coming back to the place where this adventure all started. And it does make sense why it, everyone was brought in this way. I really hope that this doesn't just turn out to ever be just like, yeah, let's go invade and, you know, shoot our machine guns and stuff, which it looks like it's going to be. Um, It'll be really weird if it's like, yeah, everything's going back to the place it all started with guns. <laughs> so I guess we'll see how things go as we uh, go into this uh, home stretch for the promised Neverland. Yeah. Um, meh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have too much to say. I need to see more. Nah. Let's, uh, we're also low on time, so let's get going. Black Clover! Black Clover 233. Fate begins to move. So Asta's to go find Charmy because Charmy's eating too much, apparently. So she's like, oh, you're going to try to stop me now. And I'm like, yeah, Charmy has emerged. She's befriended all the animals in the forest because she gives them delicious food. And uh, uh, some dudes... I don't think that's what's going on. I think she just summoned a bunch of sheep or whatever. Well, she, oh, has... no, she, did, she did actually bring yeah. along the animals. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, the grass gym leader from the new Pokemon games, like, I think I may have created a terrible <laughs> monster. And, uh, I don't fucking, fucking real shows up to help. And I guess it's supposed to be pretty crazy because the two of them work together to defeat Charmy and save the village because now all their food won't be eaten. And then there's a moment where 
no one even prompts it. They're like, Ass is just like, you've gotten stronger. And he's like, well, I. Well, the reason why is because my dick felt weird recently. Yeah, he's like, when I think of a certain somebody, it makes this unstoppable urge to create well up inside of me. And he draws what he thinks of. And it's the real Charmy. I guess not the real, but the transformed Charmy. Because she's a werewolf or some shit. I can't remember exactly what she was. Half dwarf. Half dwarf. Half dwarf. That was it. Uh, and uh, he's in love with the not dwarf part of her or whatever the non dwarf transfer. I don't know what to call it, but he's in love with it, the tall one. And Dast is just like, that's her right there. <laughs> and I do appreciate where he's just like, well, it's that's her. Like the, the person that you've like been dreaming of is her. It's right. She's right here. And I, I do appreciate that he's just like. That's her, yeah. as opposed to the typical cliche of like, I can't possibly tell him, you know, the truth or anything like that. So, but Rose like, what are you talking about? She's fat. And they're like, yeah, well, I mean, that's true. And Charmy's like, what are you talking about? I'm not fat. I'm pleasantly plump. The most popular type. The conversation's done there. I don't. Yeah, it's gone. <laughs> We're just done. I don't know why we did it. It's. There's no drama anymore because Rill now knows that that was Charmy anyway. I guess it's just to be like, he has a crush on her. But it's so weird that we spent the last part of last chapter and the start of this chapter covering this to then just to probably be like, it's done, I guess. And we go over to Yuno, who shows up over at his old village and is like, hey, you, you, you wanted me? And I'm like, yeah, this dude's here. And this dude's like, Ah, I was from the Spade Kingdom, and we were a peaceful country, but then the Dark Triad appeared, and they got rid of all of the old people, like the old kingdom people, and you, you were one of those people, you were the prince of the Spade Kingdom! <laughs> You're like, alright, cool. <laughs> I'm glad this fucking big drama has been sitting here for a while. It's gonna be really cool when, like, uh, the, uh, when the Clover Kingdom just implants one of their highest-ranking magic knights as the new leader of the Spade Kingdom, and they've got uh, blood magic control over the Heart King uh, Diamond Kingdom, and the the Heart Kingdom's uh, queen, uh, all of her friends are in the Clover Kingdom. That's not a bad thing at all. <laughs> no, it's, it's Monarchy's great, guys. Uh-huh. You just have to control them. <laughs> Bring them under your thumb. <laughs> Uh, I mean, like, in fairness, this whole thing with Yudo's uh, medallion has been set up since the very beginning of the series. It's just that that has never been a thing since, like, that one flashback Yuno had about Asta and protecting it, you know, when uh, someone tried to take it from him. Um, and I, currently, I don't really see any point to him being this long lost prince of another kingdom thing. Um, I don't really know exactly what that's going to add in terms of drama. Uh, partially because, you know, such a boring character. So, I, I mean, the idea seems to just be like, Hey, this is two character. Like, you is now a super important character more than we already know. And he has a connection to this. So it, it ties, you know, into everything, but uh, like, I'm not angry about this in a way. Like, I know some people were just like, oh, of course, you know, as a prince. It's like, 
No, I mean, this does actually make a bit of sense. Why Yuno is so astronomically strong is because he's a member of a royal yeah. kingdom. Does justify part of it. I mean, I am a little curious why refugees from a kingdom were like, oh no, we've been ousted. Time to abandon our child at this random <laughs> village. Like, like, they didn't die, it doesn't we must prepare like. for the day. We must prepare him for the day that he can return and take his rightful place on the throne. Yeah, you take him, random nuns. <laughs> <laughs> We shall drop him off at the poorest village in this kingdom. The place that has the greatest disadvantage and will have the least funding, the least chance to make him survive through childhood, and the least chance for his magical towers to be discovered. Anyway, we're going to Tahiti. Bye! <laughs> That's that done with. It's like the, the classic... My solemn vow to the king has been fulfilled. I'm going away now. Like the loyal butler trope he's just like i would do everything to see you risen back on that throne again so i shall put you in the most disadvantageous situation possible and disappear oh you know it, uh, i did it so that you would uh, rise through the ranks of your own i mean if i had just coddled you your whole life then you would have never found your own inner strength and been able to take your rightful place anyway get going he just like shoves him through the door <laughs> He's like, now I know you won't understand this as you are a baby, but I shall place you in the worst care humanly possible. Uh, my other alternative to make sure that you were strong enough was to start drowning you and to see if you would use your <laughs> immense baby magic strike to fight away and get stronger. But uh, I was talked out of that one, so I'm going to abandon you here in the slums. Prince, you know, you must understand that, uh, yes, uh, your your mother and father, the queen and the king, they gave me this uh, this tremendous supply of gold so that I would have the funding to raise you your entire life and you would never need to go hungry or struggle to make your way in the world. But uh, I decided that that, uh, that gold will be better spent on hookers and blow. And so uh, uh, off you go. Just uh, drop kicks him through the door. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> anyway. Let's talk about One Piece. <laughs> One Piece, the Kurizumi clan's plot, chapter 165. So, uh, some time has passed as a uh, uh, freaking. Uh, oh, his name escapes me all of a sudden. There's too many names in this goddamn series. So, uh, a lot happens in this chapter uh, in terms of like developing how we got to from the point where. Uh, they were just traveling on Whitebeard's ship to where things in the in the present got to be. Oh god, what's his fucking name? The guy's the emperor's name, the fucking shogun pirate guy. Odin. Odin. Yes, I was literally just like, what's his fucking name? <laughs> <laughs> We've been spending the last several chapters like, what is his name? What is that dude's name? Odin is t talking with Toki uh, while they're just looking out over the ocean it's and. Toki? Uh, with from, Toki, yeah. From Metacalypse? That's Toki? Oh, no, I swear Oh, you won't believe this guy. I, I went on this ship and I married this emperor guy and his course and yes. <laughs> the best... The Toki best Toki. Come on. The best Toki is when they all decide that they're like, we're going to lose weight. They're, like, they're, they're, they go to the doctor. He's like, you're all astronomically fat like all their shirts are off and toki is like in the best shape so he's like you're all astronomically fat and toki's like even stokies <laughs> he just keeps going i just love the moment it's all these dudes with just gigantic guts and kobe with this this eight pack just like even stokie <laughs> anyway 
So, Toki, not Wartooth, not a bumblebee. Maybe she is a bumblebee if she's not Toki. Uh, they're talking a little bit. She says, like, yeah, I, I, I don't know where I was born. I just know that my parents' homeland was Wano. I mean, that's there's nowhere else for me to go. So, that's why I'm trying to head back there. Uh, although, Odin warns her, like, well, I'm not sure we're going there for a while. But, she says, just being around you makes me feel like I've already reached my just destination. And he's like, but why, why do you say that? And, uh, I do like how, you know, people are like watching him f- f- this go on and they're like, ooh, sparks are flying. And it's like, what are you guys talking about? So it's it's cute. I do like them bonding uh, like this uh, before they just have a baby in the next chat in the next couple of pages. It's like, all right, there's a little bit of relationship developing and this is a montage. So I, I do like seeing a little bit of time dedicated to this. So. Um. Whitebeard uh, is being pursued by the Navy while this is going on. Odin is like, why don't we just fight them? And Whitebeard's like, there's a lot of them. That's why. <laughs> um, and he says, you know, hey, you know, if they're an organization, if there's an organization that controls the world, they must be full of mighty men. And Whitebeard's like, well, you can use the voice to decide for yourself. And, you know, your country is still free for now. Uh, in the second year of travels, you know, they he and Toki have had a child by this point. This, of course, ends up being Momonosuke, but they're trying to think of different names. And Owen just keeps on trying to name different foods that they can use for, like, you know, Odin ingredients because One Piece names are weird. Um, Izo is, you know, is kind of scolding him, thinking, like, saying, like, you're a wanted criminal. You should go back to Wano. Say, protect your wife and child. He's like, no, I'm not done yet. Uh, I do like the dog storm and uh, cat viper are talking uh, over this newspaper. And cat viper is like, you know, these, there's these newspaper thingies and they never mention Wano. Dog storm is like, that's because there's no way for information to get out of the country. It's just like on Zoe. It's like, well, yeah, duh. Um, then Whitebeard's uh, crew gets so large that eventually, you know, divisions are formed and, uh, Whitebeard is like, I'm putting you in charge of the second division, Odin. And he's like, oh, he makes the same disgusted face as when Toki wanted to go back to Wano. And I love that the way of them convincing him to do it is just going, do it. Just everyone hangs up on it. It's like, no, fake responsibility for something. Um, We also cut to over to more people, you know, showing up on the ship, including fucking Marshall D. Teach. Uh, and. More and more happens with Odin. I like how Odin is still just so irresponsible. He rushes on shore as soon as they land somewhere. And they're like, you're the leader of a freaking division. You should not be doing this. Like, no, I've got to look see the world. And then we get to see what's actually going on in Wano while this is going on. Uh, Sukiyaki is in critical condition. And uh, so, you know, he's saying to everyone, like, you know, I, I want the next Shogun to be Odin. Uh, but with his absence, if anything should happen to me, I'm going to need a proxy to rule until he returns. So I'm going to choose a man whom Odin has doted upon like a younger brother, Kurozumi Orochi. And Yasuye is like, what? What the fuck is he talking about? And of course, everyone's reacting with shock. And Orochi shows up. And he's got this formal kimono on and he says, you know, I'm given, being given this opportunity to repair, repair my clan's dishonor. I owe so much debt to Lord Tsukiyaki and to Odin. Uh, so for the sake of a Tony for my grandfather's clients crimes, I 
pledged to use my ability meager as it is to prepare the throne for his ascension. So I shall just you know, sit in place of the throne and I shall just sit inert upon it and wait for his return. That is all. I just beg for your assistance until then. And Yusui is like, you're a Kurazumi? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry that I hit this. And so we get a flashback within a flashback. Gasp! To when Orochi came across this hag. I mean, she's a hag. That's that not just in appearance, but in role in this story. Uh, who can... You know, has all this knowledge uh, of uh, of the cl- of the history of the clans and stuff. And basically what she says is that so you don't know what happened to your grandfather. So he was killed by the Kozukis. Uh, and so she's like, well, he must have committed some sort of crime to get that punishment. And he's like, what crime is it to in a squabble for political power? He who stands at the top writes the rules. And just like that, a crime is no longer a crime. The previous shogun of the Kazuki clan did not sire any children. He had no heir. The five daimyo clans who served Kazuki were restless. Who would be the next shogun? Each of them harbored hope that he would be the one, but your grandfather was prepared. Prepared to poison all of those rival daimyos. One after another, they vanished, seemingly perishing in civil war. And the shogun, anguished by the death of his loyal daimyos, took sick from stress. The plan was working, but just when it seemed as though his ambitions would be realized, the shogun's baby and heir was born. Kazuki Sukiyaki, a curse of Sukiyaki. Not only did Kurizumi fail to become shogun, the plan came to light and your grandfather was forced to commit seppuku. The clan was cut off from power. Lands, castle, titles, all confiscated. Everything taken. The Kurizumi name was lower than dirt and the clan was tossed into the street, but little by all. And whose fault is it that you live in poverty? Whose fault? And Orochi immediately agrees it was a Kazuki Sukiyaki's fault for being born. And just like, that's right. If it weren't for him, you would have been Shogun one day. And Orochi is immediately taken with this idea. And so he starts to say, like, so who are you? Are you like from the Kurizumi? And she's like, who I am doesn't matter. I have been out of the country and it's been a terrible ordeal. But just look at my face. And suddenly her old appearance transforms into a beautiful woman's and then it transforms into Orochi himself. And she says, this is a power conferred to me by something called the clone clone fruit. Dun, dun, dun. And so she says, if you do as I bid you, I can give you power, the power to make you Shogun. She also presents him with another devil fruit. And Orochi says that he will do anything. And she's like, all right, make preparations. And so we see in this montage of events as, you know, Yasuo is looking over things that uh, Orochi approached uh, Odin various times asking for money. And Odin, with his weirdly generous heart, kept on giving him the money because he was in need. And so with this, he was able to amass power, produce weapons. And eventually uh, the woman took the guys of Odin and would claim, oh, this man is like a brother to me. He took the appearance of Sukiyaki and was like, oh, if anything should happen to me, you must take over Orochi. And so they manipulate everyone and made it seem as if this was both Odin's and Sukiyaki's wishes that Orochi should take up this position and have this power uh, when Sukiyaki did die. So. That sucks. Yeah, uh, uh, there's some interesting stuff to come out of this. Uh, she has the same fruit Mr. Two has. So mm-hmm. the implication would seem to be that she's died or the fruit has passed on since then because this is a flashback that took place more than 20, 20 years ago. So yeah. 
the expectation would be that she doesn't have the fruit anymore because Mr. Two had it more recently than that. But who really knows who she is? I mean, this could be Mr. Two for all we know. I mean, it would seem weird, but but, yeah, I mean, I guess theoretically it could. Um, We like cut ahead a little bit in the flashback at the very end of the chapter uh, to the fourth year of Odin's journey. And now, of course, both Hiyori and Momonosuke have been born. Um, And uh, they see as they come ashore on an island that all of the wild animals are running away. And we see that, oh, my gosh, it is Gold Rogers crew. And he's there with, you know, Kid Shanks and Buggy and all of, you know, the people who are known to have been with his crew. And uh, how many of the characters can you name? Not Buggy and Shanks. Uh, Gold Roger. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) There's Silver's Raleigh. More than zero. Fuck you, Chris. Raleigh's. There's Silver Raleigh's. There's Crocus, the doctor. I think that's supposed to be Yasup there behind him. I don't see Uh, the fast bet. I I can't tell if it's supposed to be. The guy with the dreadlocks might be there, Yasup, but it doesn't look super like him, but no. Because he's part of Shanks' crew in the prison. Yeah. Yeah. And, um,. What's the the uh, fat fast Ben something? God damn it! I couldn't remember them all. I'm a failure. So this is going to be the incident, of course, where uh, Odin and Gold Roger met and ended up working together, presumably. So the rocks pirates thing. I'm very interested to find out what happens. This is very exciting. Period. I do really like the information we got. I also do really like the information we got in terms of Orochi's rise to power, just how much he was manipulating stuff and how awful a person he is that he just immediately took this hags version of events like, oh, yeah, it's that asshole's you know, fault for being born that my traitorous father who murdered his co-workers basically uh, in cold blood and a grab for power. Why I'm not the Shogun. Fuck all of them. <laughs> it's not my grandfather's fault for doing something. He so quickly turns from, oh, he must have done something wrong. Like, no, he was totally right to do that. <laughs> it makes sense because at first you're kind of like, oh, like this woman's clearly manipulating him. So maybe like you kind of don't like you kind of start to feel a little bad for Orochi until you see he very easily works the logic along to be like, no, you're right. I do deserve everything. Fuck that guy. I hope he dies. I'm going to help kill him. <laughs> gotta have the gotta have this, you know, you can't have him suddenly turn sympathetic in this flashback. No. So, so well, I, I, that's what I mean when I'm like, it's nice that because I was worried that was going to be what happened. I was like, no, the justification is still there. He, he definitely took advantage of the situation to justify his own greed. All right. And we're running a little bit late, so we should wrap things up here. Uh, favorite chapter MVP. I'm going to give my favorite chapter to uh, I'm going to give it to Chainsaw Man because I really, really liked it. And I'm going to give my character of the week to I'll give it to Uruka from We Never Learn because I, I, I really like that chapter as well. And I, I think her, her whole speech is the big reason I like it. I'm going to give it my favorite chapter. to Go ahead. I was going to say maybe I'll do Obara actually, but I'm going to stick with Uruka. <laughs> Uh, One Piece is going to be my chapter of the week. I really like the way the things unfold in this chapter. There was a lot of jumping around and a lot of events to cover, but I really like the conversation between Orochi and the uh, ghost fortune teller hag disguise awful person. I'm not sure exactly what you want to call her. Miko a little bit. 
Um, I, I don't think she gets named in this entire thing because he does ask her, who the hell are you? And she's like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so, um, and uh, Uruk is also my character of the week because, yeah, I mean, her, that speech that she gives about everyone, again, it, you know, ties everything together, does make that chapter really effective. Yep. So. The audience picked Denji as their character of the week and Act Age. Totally understandable. Act Age was their series of the week, which leads me okay. to our recommendation uh, next time because we had mentioned we were going to get into it. Act Age will be our next recommendation as we catch up on the series so that we can then add it to the recap and then everybody will be able to say, why aren't you guys reading Act Age? Act Age was the best series this week. You should be reading Act Age. They can't say it anymore because we'll have been reading it. And uh, that should probably be the first recommendation that we cover in the new year, guys, because there's only one more week of recap if we do it all next week. I know that there are chapters next week, but next Wednesday is Christmas. Uh, so if we do do it, we might have to do it on a different day of the week, or we might just hold off on the chapters until like new year's day or something. I don't know. Uh, we got to figure that out. So, yeah. all right, all, uh, that's going to do it for the manga recap. Uh, thank you all for joining us for the recording here at smashcast.tv slash twitch.tv slash where we do the show Wednesdays around seven thirty eight PM Eastern time in the evenings. Uh, you can follow us for updates at WMR Podcast on Twitter. Your hosts are at Royalty and at Nick F. Time. You can check out our past episodes on weeklybongarecap.podbean.com. Be sure to send us feedback, ask us questions for Q&A episodes, suggest manga for us to read. Do that on the Discord server or on weeklybongarecap at yahoo.com via email. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters and to the people who help make Weekly Manga Recap what it is. NinjaX3i for maintaining all of the spreadsheet data and stuff. You can check out WMR polls on Twitter for uh, votes on favorite moments from the podcast and that kind of thing. Uh, special thanks to Steve Manor Towercars. You can check out his work in a bunch of different places. He draws boobs, but not on I Draw Boobs at Tumblr anymore because they don't let him draw boobs on there. Uh, bastards. Infamous Planet for the frame of the visual edition of the show uh, and uh, the careers of the opening sequence of Weekly Manga Recap, Milo Jack Stewart. So you can check out his SoundCloud and Wednesday Cheddar. Check out their YouTube. All right. And uh, as Chris said, Actage is coming. So Actage. Yeah. Let's go. Goodbye. Uh, okay. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>